Okay, here we are. Weapons Free Wednesday 10. We are just cruising right along here. Well, let's take a look here. I've been looking at analytics lately. I like to keep track of these things. Let's see what do we got here. We have, let's go to our handy dashboard. I like to, I like to do top 10 countries here because it just, it fascinates me that anyone outside of the United States wants to hear anything that my over-opinionated and sometimes ignorant ass has to say. Let's see here. Okay, so here's our top 10 countries. These are the countries that download us in the top 10. We don't care about anything other than top 10. Okay, coming in at number 10, we have the Netherlands. My Viking folks, they're getting after it. I like it. It's on my to-do list to get over to the Netherlands. I want to come visit that whole Netherlands, Scandinavian, Icelandic, like Viking area, Norway, all, all those places. Like I want to come visit all of you. So number 10, coming in at number 10, Netherlands. Number nine, Republic of South Africa. Yeah, shout out to Soria Vermillion. She's one of my South African listeners. Oh, out of oh, uh, Johannesburg there. Coming in at number eight, we've got New Zealand. My good cunts down in Kiwi part of the world. Thank you so much. You guys rock. Coming in at number eight. I mean, listen to my Kiwi folks down there. Like you gotta, you gotta step up your game a little bit, okay? Because as we climb up the ladder, you'll you'll know why. Number seven. We've got Norway, as I just mentioned. I'm excited. I want to come visit. I want to come do a good tour of Norway. I want to come see Northern Lights. I have yet to lay my eyes on Northern Lights. I hear Norway is an amazing place to do that in the wintertime. So I'm going to get some snowshoes and come see you guys. Number six, Ireland. Listen to my Irish mates, fellas, folks, people. You guys are my people. My, my family has lineage, was traced back to Wales, Scotland, and Ireland. And I'm pretty sure that somehow I was part of the Irish faction. I like to I like to think that. Now that's not going to be a popular answer amongst my UK listeners, but I mean that's that's fine. They're going to be like, no, mate, you're you're from Wales, okay? Which is I believe Southern England, way Southern England. Coming in at number five, we have Germany. I don't even know why Germans have anything. They don't. I don't even know why you guys want to listen to anything that I have to say. I'm just going to go ahead and probably say all the downloads coming out of Germany are probably coming off of an American military base there because I can't see why anybody from German, Germany gives a flying fuck what I have to say. But if there are some German folks out there, like hit me up in the DMs. I would love to talk to you. You guys have amazing beer also on my to-do list. And if COVID wouldn't have fucked up my whole entire travel schedule, I would have been totally down to come do an Oktoberfest. I have been to Germany on a couple of occasions just for a couple of days coming through coming in and out frankfurt area i'm excited I th it's definitely i want to tour around germany and check it out here we go number four we have my uk people as i like to call them my brits my fucking mates shout out to mike newman and all my good mates over at 22 sas thanks for doing everything that you do and being tremendous partners in everything that we've got going on in the uh Great world of terror. Let's see. Coming in number three. Okay. My top cunts. My top cunts. Australia. You guys are coming in at number three. All right. I love me some Australia. Love me some Australia. You guys are amazing. You have a amazing grasp of the word cunt. And I just, I aspire to be there every day. Number two. Coming in number two. Canada. I'm shocked. I'm shocked that this many people in Canada. Like Canada. What's going on in Canada? You guys have some major problems going on. But it's okay. Australia does too. They have, like, people are getting arrested for, like, being outside, breathing oxygen on a beach. So, and getting fined thousands of dollars. People of Australia, amazing. 
people of Canada amazing. Your governments, however, are way the fuck out of control, as is ours. We've got some major idiots running the show right now, which for anybody that's listening knows exactly how I feel about that whole situation. And then coming in at Silver's place, because I don't think anybody is going to bump us off the first place spot, the United States good old us of a so thank you to all my listeners in the usa and worldwide everywhere everybody that downloads this podcast wherever you're at thank you so much i can't tell you how much i appreciate it it's a i get a kick out of looking at this list every week when i take a look at it and it does it fluctuates it changed japan was on here for a while apparently i pissed off everybody in japan nobody wants to listen to me anymore but i love some japan i love sushi it's probably one of my favorite foods and they have surprisingly enough they have some of the best snow in the world and I'm going to go there someday to snowboard. If you want to check out snow and how much it snows there, check out a movie by one of my favorite snowboarders, Travis Rice, who's actually also a Jackson Hole local. He did a movie called The Fourth Phase, and that movie highlights, one of the highlights of that was that northern island, I think it's Hokkaido, if I'm not mistaken, in Japan, and the snow up there was epic, is epic. I can hardly wait to get up there, eat some sushi, burn some firewood, ride some snow. I think it's going to be amazing. It's on the to-do list for sure. I got a lot of things to do. Got to catch up on all my travel once we, once the world comes to a consensus on the fact that what I've believed in my heart and soul since the beginning of COVID, which is it's a lot to do about something that's not incredibly dramatic or, or terrible. I think we've just, fear has just gripped everybody and has completely made people irrational, which is what fear is designed to do. It's why terrorists can get away with what they get away with. They do it so well and they use fear as a tool, make people afraid and you can bend them to your will, which is what I see a lot of going on globally right now, which is really disappointing. I hope eventually we will understand that this virus is not the big scary monster that the media loves and governments love to wield as a tool to scare and control everybody. And I hope that we can get past that at some point, open our borders back up and get back to business as usual. So I'm hoping to see that soon. Okay. Now I want to take a moment now that we've covered our international top 10 downloads. I want to take a moment to do something that I categorically see is not a trend with people in my industry and with other industries. I very rarely see people, frontmen of companies, really highlight their people, their team. And it's one of the big problems that I had with old Donald Trump. He's a fucking terrible leader. He did a lot of great things. He also just is a loudmouth fucking windbag that I think is highly unprofessional and just I mean, sometimes the stupid shit that he says, I fucking laugh at because it, it's funny. And other times he said, he used to say stupid shit that I'm like, you are an absolute fucking moron. But I mean, I'm sure that's what people think about me as well. That said, he had the terrible habit of saying, I, 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 me, me, I did this, I did that, I, 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 I. It was constantly I. He was never giving credit to his team. He was never giving credit to people that worked under him. As a matter of fact, if you disagreed with him, he would, you know, you would resign and then he would talk shit about you and then lie and say that he fired you. So, I mean, he's just, he's a bucket of shit, just like most other politicians out there. So it's a problem. That's why I encourage all my veterans that have good combat leadership experience to go start running for office. But I want to take a minute to recognize my team, which there isn't very many of us, but I'd like to highlight my man Cato, who is an instrumental part of this team. I'd like to congratulate him for officially, as of like seven days ago, passing his selection process. He finished his selection for that I have for humans. And so he has proven himself a very valuable member of the team. He's going to hate this. He's going to edit this and he's going to call me and he's going to yell at me for doing this, but I don't give a fuck because I'm the boss and I get to do what I want. I want to personally thank Cato for not only being an amazing at, at what he 
all the things that he does because he has this innate ability to just jump into things that he's never done before and be really fucking good at him. It's kind of annoying. He didn't know jack shit fuck all about editing podcasts, doing podcast. He knew he knew zero. And he did some research and then just jumped into this and he's been doing a fantastic job. He is my, he's my editor and my producer for the podcast. And this podcast wouldn't happen without him. It just wouldn't because I am technically challenged when it comes to all this shit. Like I can barely figure out how to plug my headset in and talk into it. So I'm super grateful to have him. He's not only a very clutch member of the team for what we do for the podcast, but he's also clutch member for everything that's going on at ODG, which is my company, Orion Design Group. So I would like to take the time to recognize Cato. Thank you so much, brother. I couldn't do this without you. I'm so happy to have you not only on my team, but in my life as my friend. So thank you so much for everything you do. And with that, we will officially kick off Weapons Free Wednesday 10. Enjoy. Because I'm so fucking good. Hey, hey, get some, baby. Get some. Get some. Get some. Get some. Get some. Come on. Get in. Come on. Get some. Get some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, let's dive into it. We got some good, we got some really good questions this week. Oh, let's dig into the questions. Let me see here. Question number one. In the upcoming zombie apocalypse, I love that. The upcoming. That's some good, that's some good, that's, that's good. That's good positive forward thinking. In the upcoming zombie apocalypse, you can have two weapons. Pick one firearm and one non-firearm. Ooh. Okay. What would I do? Firearm, non-firearm. I mean, let's just go ahead and pick the low-hanging fruit first. I would, for my for my firearm, I would choose a 11.5, basically a Block 3 Mark 18. And for those of you that don't know what that is, that's an 11.5 inch AR-15. And I would choose a probably 1 to 6 power, variable opt- optic, a my weapon light, a laser of some type, night vision goggles, of course. And I would probably go with a some... Mark 262 Special Ball, which is 77 grain, because it has phenomenal effects on, terminal effects on target, I know from personal experience. What, uh, what else would we do? What, I, I think I'm going to have to go with a, who non, my non-firearm weapon. I'm going to have to say, hmm, I'm going to have to say I would go with a, I want to say sword because I love ninjas. I love samurais when I was a kid. Like before I wanted to be Rambo, I wanted to be a fucking ninja. Like I used to have a ninja Halloween costume and my mom would yell at me and tell me that I couldn't wear it to school and I would try and fight her, not literally, but like fight her off of me so that she she would literally be pulling it off of me and like trying to make me wear normal clothes. In which case I would quickly switch into my G.I. Joe or my Rambo attire and I would switch to the red headband and the the woodland camouflage blouse that was like way too big for me with blue jeans and of course my checkered Vans running shoes. So I, I used to love all things ninja, all things samurai. Samurais have fucking badass armor. You know, at some point, I hope to own some antique samurai armor and to put on display in my house because I'm just fascinated with samurai culture and then have a really badass fucking sword too at some point. And so I would say my non-firearm weapon would probably be a fucking razor sharp katana. Like a, just a fucking badass sword. However, I also do love a really good 
fucking sharp knife and in dual wielded with a really razor sharp tomahawk. So I'm battling myself a little bit because there's part of me that wants to say I want a razor sharp like Winkler knife and tomahawk combo probably is what I would go with. But that katana sword like you can just I mean a sword is is a gorgeous thing and it used to be like the primary weapon back in the day before firearms were a thing so I don't know I'm torn it's a toss-up between those two things I think I'm just gonna break your rules and I'm gonna say fuck it I'm gonna go with both I'm gonna take my tomahawk and my blade and wear them on my belt I'm gonna have a samurai sword or like a razor sharp ninja katana on my back and then I'm gonna have my mark 18 that's what I'm gonna do that's my that is my end of the world zombie walking dead setup okay that is what i'm gonna do with that okay moving right along let's go to question number two which is in the dms there's a few people that had some good good questions here let's see here oh question number two here we go found one how do you deal with a leader who is isn't fully engaged but picks and chooses when to interject in decision making Oh man, did this one hit home for me because I just had over this last year a horrific crash and burn with my business partner and I'm not going to get into details. I'm not going to dox him, but he, this is one of his things that he would do. Like he would have a very hands-off approach to things. I would be basically running the show and then he would come in and interject And then if I didn't take his advice or his direction, he would get very highly offended and throw little shit fit baby man cunt tantrums that I just, to this day, I've never seen a grown ass man act like that before. And I was just, a lot of times I would just pause and just watch the shit fit unfold and just be completely horrified. I don't know if this was happening for you, but it's extremely difficult when you have a leader that just will, you know, and and in this case, he wasn't a leader. He was my partner, but I, I tried to do my best to, you know, be a good listener and take what he had to say on board as good advice. And I would, I would try really hard to you know, present if I completely disagreed with him, I did my best to try and deliver that in a in the most professional way that I possibly could. So I would say that. I would say the best thing to do, maybe, depending on how this person is. Okay, my former business partner was a complete cunt and just loved to be manipulative and controlling and was a terrible human, as it turns out. And one of the biggest mistakes I've made in my adult life. And I didn't I I my tools for dealing with that were very hard because he was very he was very, he was extremely stubborn and narcissistic. And that's a fucking really tough combination to deal with. So depending on how your leadership is, depending on, you know, what type of person they are, like if he's a type of person or she in this case, cause it's not, it's not specified in here, he or she, if they are open to, you know, if they're open to any type of constructive criticism, or you can present yourself in a way where you can obviously challenging them in front of a team in front of the whole team that has consequences with it there's a time and a place to do that usually if it's an on-the-spot decision that's probably going to get people killed maimed or injured in any way shape or form then you should probably just take the hit and address that on the spot in front of everybody if this is like a policy thing you know it's a it's a total pick your battles type situation where you should, you know, if nobody is going to die from any decisions being made or it's just a, or 
be massively adversely affected, then you should probably just have the in-private conversation where if you're the two IC, the second in command, you knock on their door, you sit down with them. Or if this is like an officer enlisted relationship, you sit down with them and you just say, hey, you got a minute? Can I can I talk to you for a second? Hey, I really, and, and start off positively. That, you know, that's what I always like to do is say, hey, I really appreciate you know, your input. However, I just would like to bring to your attention a couple of things. This is how I feel about the situation where, you know, I run the show 95% of the time and you have a very hands-off approach to everything. And then you come in and you make a call. It seems to me that you have a very selective time when you want to, when you want to participate. And and that doesn't, that doesn't work well for me. And I disagree with the call you made. Try and present it in the best way possible. Um, And I, Uh, you know, when I was younger, I certainly wasn't good at this. Like I was like the, I was the opposite of everything that I just told you. Like I loved to just light my blowtorch and stick it in people's mouths and just like in their faces and just like pull the trigger. I mean, there's sometimes I still like to do that. I mean, I haven't outgrown that completely, but I try to really in my older age, be a lot more mature and a lot more diplomatic these days. So I would try and present it to them like that and see how it's received. If it's not received well, and you get told to shut up and color, well, then you just do what a lot of us do in that situation where depending on the efficacy of what the call was, like if it was a good call and you are being honest with yourself and you're maybe just a little butt hurt that you, you know, run the show most of the time, then got overridden and it was good advice and but you don't like it then be honest with yourself about that and and just deal with it and do whatever that person said to do and execute it just make sure they give you a good task condition and standard because i've seen that so many times where you know the other side of this coin is where they will pop in they will have input and then they'll bounce right back out with no task condition and standard attached to it you know basically which is military terminology which is you know part of leadership in the military which is where we will you know say hey Hey, here's the task. Here's the conditions in which it needs to be uh, executed, and the and then the standard to which it needs to be executed at. So you know you have timelines. You know you have a deadline attached to that, and then you have like a you have a standard for which the quality of work needs to be executed to. So and ex- and that those are basically all of the expectations of that leader. So where you will also run into problems is if they bounce in. They say, hey, do this, but then they don't give you a task condition and standard, and then you execute it your way because mission type orders, right? What to do, not how to do it, which was the other huge problem that I had with my former business partner. Like I came from a military background. He came from a tech background. I'd been designing gear and working in this industry for 16 years. He had not. He'd been working in the tech industry, and he was wildly successful over there, and he did amazing things and has patents and all kinds of shit, and he was a, he was a big deal and had two really successful startups that he ran, and he did amazing things in his industry. So part of our divide was he didn't really understand how things work from a product development standpoint, like him being a coding engineer and sitting down at a laptop and being able to like bang out some code and have tangible, you know, executed, you know, results very quickly at very low cost versus what I was doing with with development was extremely difficult. And so there was a lot of experience gap there. And what he would do is he would bounce in and he would say his piece and you know, it wasn't always a disagreeable thing until later when he would say his piece and I would be like, I would take it on board, but I would execute it my way and not in the way that he wanted it done. But he would never communicate that. He'd never give me, hey, here's my task condition and standard recommendation. He would 
simply just say, oh, well, you should do it like this or you should do it like that. And I would do it. I would get to the same end state, but I would do it my way. And that would cause his brain to melt and he couldn't understand that. So that's another part of the equation too. Like if you're going to sit down and have this conversation and try and come to some consensus about with your leader or manager or fill in the blank partner, whatever the, whatever the case may be, and they come into the equation, they need to be able to, you know, give you a proper task condition and standard for what, the, for what their expectations are. So you have good, clear communication on what the expectation is, and then you can, you can meet that expectation. And if you disagree with the task condition and standard, then that's the time to try and work it out in a team-driven you know, way to where you can put your input in, they put their input in, you find some middle ground, and then you jointly come up with the task condition and standard, and then you jointly execute it, or you go off and execute it with the team, and then everybody's happy. So I would say, I know that was a lot, but make sure if this is happening and this is like a major problem for you, make sure you address the problem. Because that's the third thing that I see a lot of times and I've experienced this. I experience this in everyday life. I experience this with my fans. I experience it with my family, with everybody. People are really adverse these days to, and you know, it's because of cancel culture and everything else and censorship and all of the fucking horse shit that's going on with where the direction that we are going, not only in this country, but globally. People are very quick to just immediately shut you down if they disagree with you, which is is dangerous. And I, I don't think it's the right way to handle things. So I would say, you know, if this is a contentious situation, have the courage to say something like get in there, open your mouth, say something. Okay. Just do it in the best way possible so that that person can hear it and, you know, deliver your message or deliver your grievance in a way that can be heard. Because if you don't do that, then, you know, if you come charging into the situation and act like an asshole and, drop a flurry of fucking F-bombs like I am very good at, then you will have very, you'll have varying results that are probably not going to go the way you want. So especially if this person is your boss or in charge of you. So I would say one, you know, get in there, state your grievance Two, be as diplomatic as possible. And three, try and find a way forward together. Like if you leave the situation angry, it's not going to go well and you're just going to have to revisit it. So try and have good communication and, and st say your piece in a diplomatic way and move forward together. Okay. That's what those, that's what my advice is for that question. Okay. Question. Let me see here. Question number three. What's one thing that drives you most with lone element? Oh, drives me most with lone element. I mean, that's kind of a little bit of an open-ended question because I, I didn't ever expect lone element to ever be anything other than my personal Instagram profile. And people, a lot of times people are like, well, like, like why do you, why'd you call it lone element? Well, because, why do I call Lone Element? Because I, after my first, well, let's back up here. Why do I call it Lone Element? I'm, a, I'm estranged from my family. Like, I don't get along with my family. So I, like, I don't have a great relationship with them. My parents got divorced when I was very young. And it was because my father was an alcoholic and highly physically abusive. And my mom bailed out of that when we were nine, when I was nine. And then we got together with, um... She got, or I'm sorry, she got together with my stepdad and he was a great guy for a while, but then him and my mom tried to have a, a kid and there was some type of genetic defect and she carried it almost, she carried it to, I think the seven month mark. And then the genetic defects that had occurred during the pregnancy, like finally came to fruition and there was massive problems and she went in the hospital and delivered the baby early and it was stillborn. 
and it had all kinds of genetic problems. And after after that, he just stopped giving a fuck about me and my brother. He detached from the family. He kind of went into, I mean, looking back on it now after everything that I've dealt with, with my own trauma, my own PTSD, everything that I've dealt with, I look back on that situation and I could clearly see the poor guy was traumatized, but he just turned into a fucking asshole who just became incessantly selfish and just manipulative and just didn't give a fuck about anybody but himself really to include like he would he did a good job alienating my mom on a lot of occasions and so you know I think they've largely worked through a lot of that stuff but I going down the road more didn't have a great relationship with my family so I've always kind of been the lone you know the lone wolf in the family uh the black sheep for lack of a better term so there was that and then there was you know, I was very outspoken in the Marine Corps. I was very disruptive. And I, you know, was always trying to up the game. You know, I was the guy in the Marine Corps that would never stand around and be like, I was the guy that was always like, why the fuck are we doing it like this? This is stupid. This doesn't even make sense. This is out of a playbook that came from the Cold War. Like the battlefield has changed. Like I had very radical ideas to the point where my officers and staff and COs didn't even know what to do with me. They would look at me and be like, holy, what the fuck? I don't even know what to do with him, you know, because I wanted to do things like I was the infantry marine that was like why the fuck aren't we driving around in toyota corollas fucking with man dresses on and growing beards and fighting insurgencies with insurgent tactics like they're blending in we need to blend in around them and then you know like i could go i mean this could be its own separate podcast if i wanted to like dive into all the nuances of that but i ended up taking a i ended up volunteering for a position at the regiment and i went out and i would became the ncoic for our fid detachment for first marine regiment regimental combat team one and i ended up writing the curriculum to train uh all the iraqis and i did that successfully and then when operation phantom fury also known as al-fajar happened i was tasked to you know basically go out and be a, a brigade level lno the officers around me didn't love the fact that i was holding a captain's billet so they kept instead of referring me to me as an lno they would which is stands for liaison officer they would because i was an e5 holding a captain's billet they would refer to me as the ncoic even though like i had no it was just me it was me and a couple of the marines uh that were worked underneath me one was my comms guy and the other one was my driver and i had a corpsman attached to us as well but a lot of times i like went out i went on patrols by myself with my Iraqis because I could speak Arabic. So I learned how to speak Arabic. And so I would go out with my Iraqis and I would go on combat patrols and, and raids and stuff by myself. So there I was again, alone, unafraid. And then uh, moving on moving on forward, I when I started contracting, my very first contract, I was doing uh, a lot of AFO work, which is an acronym for stands for Advanced Force Operations. And I was doing a lot of that stuff and that required me to operate independently as well. I was doing a lot of stuff, also alone and unafraid, with a duffel bag full of money, uh, setting up safe houses and doing stuff in Afghanistan to support a follow-on contract that turned out to be very lucrative and very good for uh, for the company I worked for and for um, Afghanistan and the Afghanistan Border Patrol and Narcotics Interdiction Task Unit. So uh, once again, doing stuff by myself, alone and unafraid in the battle space. And then when I got out, I uh, started my company and uh, originally had a partner, but he was gone all the time because his day job was a hunting guide and he was a phenomenal hunting guide and he was a phenomenal friend. I knew him from when we, I've known him since we were like 13 years old and we just had our differences and weren't good business partners and 
Kaczynski was terrible at business and didn't put in the time to want to learn how to get good at business like I did. And so he went his way. I went my way. But then I was back to being a loan consultant and a loan proprietor, sole proprietor of my design team. So that's kind of where things have, that's kind of the road that I've been on where I've just kind of always been my own little task unit out executing things by myself. So hence I, when I came up with my Instagram handle, it was Lone Element. And so what do I want it to do? What's my favorite part of it? I don't know because it was just supposed to be my obnoxious ass on Instagram, posting pictures of things that I love and putting up, uh, you know, my rants. And uh, as things have moved forward and progressed, here I am, and now I've turned it into, it's taken its next its next step, which is the podcast. We have a website to support, uh, you know, a platform to support that. I am going to begin putting some, I would say, I wouldn't say, I don't know, journal. I'm going to do like an online journal, I guess, and start writing some editorials, some op-eds, and like posting them up under the chronology link. On, I think first one's going to go up uh, here soon, probably in the next week. And then we're also going to, you know, use it to sell some merch. But right now it's just to support the podcast. And I really had no uh, intention of turning it into a brand, although it might go that direction. It might turn into a brand, it might turn into something big, who knows. But for right now, you know, I don't, I don't really uh, have anything that I would say drives me with it other than I'm really, I really enjoy podcasting. I fell in love with podcasting when I had the opportunity to go on Cleared Hot with my friend Andy Stump. And so he was great about, you know, giving me the opportunity to go on Cleared Hot. And it really made me realize how much I enjoy podcasting. And it's a it's a love for me right now. And we're growing. We're actually growing a lot faster than I anticipated. So thank you to all the listeners out there. Thank you all, all to all the fans. Thank you so much for, you know, you guys tuning in and downloading the podcast. Because we went, I think, from 125 downloads my first week when we kicked this thing off to now we're doing a cool 2000 a week. So we've we've grown substantially and like as I mentioned in the in the intro, we've got people from all over the world listening. So, I don't know. I don't know where this thing's going to go. Who knows? It's a science experiment. I, it's a, it's a hobby for me. I love it. I enjoy it. I'm not taking it too seriously. I'm not looking at it as like a business model. I have a Ryan Design Group for that, which is my design company. I so I I have my business. I get my you know, my business fulfillment from Orion Design Group. So Lone Element is just a, right now at this point in time, it's just a, it's an outlet, a creative outlet for me. So I hope that answered the question. And uh, I didn't really know particularly what you were getting at with what drives me the most, but I guess what drives me the most is the enjoyment I get from doing this. So I'm going to keep doing it and we'll see, we'll see what happens and where we, where we end up with it. Okay. Let's go to, let me see here. Ah, okay. Question number four. What war of the past would you have loved to have fought in? Which one would you have hated to be in? Oh, goodness. Well, first of all, let's get something straight. I wouldn't, like, if you, I wouldn't love to have fought in any wars, okay? I enjoyed being a Marine, and I enjoyed being a contractor, and I enjoyed the work that I did relative to that, but, like, I don't think anybody loves war, so I don't think I would have loved to be in any war. However, my war that really educated me when I was a kid was obviously Vietnam. And I read every book. I watched every single movie. I was, I lived in either a ninja suit or a woodland camouflage uniform most of my childhood. Like my mom had to vehemently threaten me with all kinds of crazy punishments if I did not take off my camouflage and my red headband to go to church. So there is that. Um, Vietnam was it. 
Vietnam was the war that probably influenced my choice to be in the military the most. And I would say if I, if I had to choose, um, doing a comp- quick comparison in my head, like, you know, of everything that I read instead, obviously I didn't serve in Vietnam, but after everything that I've read, all the movies that I've watched relative to that, and then my own experience based off the nine deployments that I did in the war on terror between Iraq and Afghanistan, I think I was pretty well suited to do exactly what I did and go on the path that I went on and fight in the global war on terror. I think that educating myself as a young man on all of the facets of, you know, the Viet Cong and everything that they did was a great educational part of being successful at what I did in fighting uh, and, you know, and doing counterinsurgency work in Afghanistan. So I would say I landed right where I should have landed and right where I want to have landed. Uh, Vietnam was a great part of my childhood and, and a great great at informing me and driving me to want to join the military. So I suppose like if I had to go back in time and the global war on terror never existed and I had grown up in the 60s and 70s era, then yeah, Vietnam would have been it for me. And I would have probably loved to have been out there in, in the jungle hunting old Victor Charles. So I would say that. Um, which war would I have hated to be in Without any doubt, I would have hated to be in World War One. okay? Trench warfare did not look like a good time. It looked like the most miserable, like I've seen historical video and photographs of guys just sleeping in mud puddles and the misery of like being cold, wet, hungry, and muddy all the time and then living under constant fear of either a mustard gas shell hitting your trench or an artillery shell or then you know, getting bombarded by artillery or mortars for hours on end. And then if you stuck, you know, one little inch of your head over the edge of your trench, you could catch a bullet in the running lights from a German sniper. Like I, none of that sounds good to me. And just being like deadlocked, completely gridlocked, eyeball to eyeball, like a hundred or 200 yards away from another trench line full of miserable fuckers that want nothing more than to kill you and having to like get online and shoot Chinese human wave assault across landmines, machine guns, mustard gas, and barbed wire. Like it, it, none of that sounds good to me. Like zero of that sounds like it would have been anything that I wanted to do ever. So yeah, World War One did not even remotely look like a good time to me. So I would say hard pass on World War One. Okay. I think... That might have been all the questions for, let's see here. Might have covered all the ones that I was looking at in the DMs. Okay, wait a minute. Here we go. Okay, how much of a role does Biden play? This is question number five, last question. And of course, we're going to end on politics. We're not doing any relationship stuff today. So if everybody's disappointed in that, I'm sorry. But these are just the five questions that rolled in. Oh, let's see. Inevitably, there's going to be some people that are going to be disappointed. Okay, so I got a, there's a longtime listener that I have. Her name is Jay. Jay, I did get your emails. I did get your text, your like DM of war and peace that you wrote me. I will reply back to that. It's just been a hell of a day. And I will get to the questions that you have emailed me, I promise. Like next Next Wednesday, we will have the J expose and we will, we will get, we'll get down to brass tacks on all your questions. Okay. Cause I know you hit me up about it and you're like, Hey, I emailed you all these questions. What the fuck? Okay. Yes, we will. We will get to your questions. I promise. Okay. But the last question for today, anyway, here we go. Question number five. 
how much of a role does Biden actually have in making the plans? How much of this falls on the generals and upper level decision makers that report to Biden? I get that Biden should be able to see the shit sandwich they presented and tell them to come up with something better. I guess what I'm asking is, is there anyone at the upper levels in the system that is worth a shit? How deep does this, does the shit go? How much needs to be cut away to get viable leadership that get us back on track? Okay, I mean, there was a lot there. So let's try and really unpack that a piece at a time. Okay, so I think based off of my last three weapons free Wednesdays and the horrific failure that we just had in which we lost 13 service members, like, and the fact that the, the Secretary of Defense Austin and General Milley did a press conference that I referenced several times now discussing what our direct prime directives were and we didn't follow any of those prime directives and we didn't we didn't adjust to what the enemy was doing we just let the enemy run rampant one of the prime directives was to continue to support our Afghan allies well we didn't do that we had generals and maybe at the call of the president who sat back and let ta the Taliban blitzkrieg across Afghanistan and nobody did anything. Nobody at any point said, hey, we've got these directives. It's going to be a really bad thing based on what happened in Iraq years prior. Okay. Seven years prior. So in Iraq, the same shit happened. Okay. We pulled out and ISIS came back really hard and strong. And then we had to send guys back in to help resecure the country because we didn't think through that pull out. And we didn't think through the second and third order effects that the vacuum that we were going to create by leaving was going to have on that area and the diplomatic and military shit show that was going to ensue from that. Like, which, by the way, just as a little historical reminder, Biden was vice president when that happened. So the fact that we have a commander in chief who he's got the overall say in what happens, and he seems to be very stuck on his talking points. And it's because he's, I don't know, got dementia. Like he's never knows where he's at unless somebody writes it down on a card for him. And I mean, he can't even select, he can't even select people during press conferences, journalists to call on unless somebody writes it down on a piece of paper for him. So, which is probably by design so that he doesn't get asked any hard questions that he can't answer. Um, I mean, he can't ever even answer the questions that he does get answered. So, I mean, or that he does get asked. So it's, it's, it's very problematic. You know, he said the buck stops with him, but then he wants to say, well, I just followed the advice of my generals. Okay, well, I mean, if that's the truth, which it very well may be the truth, we have generals that need to need to resign. Okay, we have generals. And, and Millie, let's just be honest, I have not heard good things about him at all. Uh, there's rumor on the street, unconfirmed, but I have people telling me that old Scotty Miller, General Scotty Miller, may have gotten relieved or may have gotten asked to retire or resign because he was adamantly opposed to the withdrawal strategy that was being shoved down his throat by the White House. So there is that rumor floating around on the, out there. Once again, completely unsubstantiated. I don't know if that's true or not, but a little birdie that I know and trust that lives in Washington, D.C. may have passed that little breadcrumb on to me. So there is that. You know, what I had to say about him and, frankly, McGuire, who's the Marine general that's the CENTCOM commander right now, like both of you, if I was standing in a room with you right now, I would I would probably err on the side of just not coming right out and just being like, you're a fucking idiot, you need to resign. I would probably give them questions, though, that would, like, catch their faces on fire. I'd be like, why didn't you follow your prime directives that you briefed in the press conference? Why didn't you push air assets out to support the Afghan army when they started collapsing in the outer districts? Why didn't you see that the Taliban uh, advance was more aggressive than you had originally planned for? And why didn't you shift forces and secure Kabul? Why didn't you secure Kabul? Why did you abandon Bagram, which is our major foothold in that country? 
Like, why did you do all of those things? Like, I would, I would set both of their faces on fire. Like, there's times where I wish I could go be a journalist for a brief period of time and like go into these press conferences and just ask the hard questions that the journalists don't know. I mean, they like to ask the controversial stuff that's going to get the headlines, but they don't know like the deep, you know, the, they don't know from a, like a, a, like a military standpoint, like how to really put the wood to somebody, put the screws to them and make them tap dance. Um, Not that either of these cowards would answer the question. Um, I mean, Millie can't even answer questions about, you know, white rage and why he thinks critical race theory is important in the military, but then stand there and say, ah, well, I'm apolitical and I don't have the luxury of being, you know, taking a political side and we're, we're apolitical over here, but then have such a strong position on critical race theory in the military and all, and be supportive of it. And then also have a, you know, um, make comments about white rage and then not answer up to what he meant by that or elaborate on it at all. We just, I'm sorry. I, I wish I, I wish I had better news. I wish I could answer this question better, but I think, you know, we just have incompetence, like a bunch of yes men, politicians, you know, it's the age, it's the age old thing when politicians think they're generals and when generals think they're politicians is kind of what we've got a serious problem with. Um, in my opinion, like it's your job. Once you've, once you've done 30, 35 years in the military, you're a full, you're a four, you're a four-star general. It's your job to, absolutely push the limit as hard as you can in in order to make sure that the president of the United States, the commander in chief is not going to make a massively huge mistake that's going to affect our overall overarching strategies and our national security. And realistically, there was a failure across the board here that has made our country more like I've said this before in my last rants, it's made our country unsafe, it's made the world unsafe, and it's made our peer adversary stronger. You know, everybody's still talking about the humanitarian crisis in Afghanistan as they should, because what we did there was cowardly. It's not how Americans act. We could have done way better. All the deaths of all those Marines and that uh, soldier and that uh, sailor that were killed, completely avoidable, absolutely avoidable. Uh, it was poor planning, it was poor execution, and it was really realistically poor support. I mean, if we continue to dig down here in this question, uh, I get that Biden should have been able to see this shit sandwich. Well, sh should he have seen this shit sandwich? I think he's got a, he's, I think it's a clear mix of him being incompetent, him being medically unfit for duty as the president of the United States and him not knowing anything about military strategy at all. I think those three things are what's working against him in regard to, you know, him being able to see around the corner. Okay. Let's see here. If we scroll down the upper levels of the system worth the shit. No, in my opinion, there's nobody that we have at the, you know, at least I, I don't know who the rest of the joint chiefs are. So I can't comment on their competency. I will say when you have a Marine general that's talking about negotiating with our enemy that we've been at war with for the last 20 years and relying on them for the security to get our people safely out of Afghanistan is piss poor. Like that, that Marine general, I don't know his background. I should probably Google it. He's a pogue. I'm just going to go out there and say that that motherfucker is probably a pogue. He's probably some support fuck from the air wing or from motor T or from fucking somewhere that worked his way up the chain and is now the CENTCOM commander. I'm sorry. I'm just going to just call a spade a spade. I don't think you should be any type of CENTCOM commander, commandant, joint chiefs, whatever, unless you were an infantry officer. Okay. I'm just going to be go on record as saying that. Like if you, if your job was driving trucks around and doing a support job, you shouldn't be setting a strategic strategy for ground operations in any theater that we're working in. Okay. That's just, 
That's just my opinion. If you're some support fuck, you're going to say stupid shit like this. So I would, I would venture to say, and if I'm wrong, please somebody DM me, send me an email, correct me, and I will throw up all over myself if this guy was an infantry officer of any type. I doubt he was. Just listening to the way he was talking during his briefing and the things that he was saying, I, I, I would be horrifically, I, I, would, I would be even more ashamed if he was any type of infantry officer. So yeah, I, we've got huge, we've got huge, huge problems at the top. How much, okay. how deep does the shit go? Pretty fucking deep. How many layers need to be cut away for viable leadership to get us back on track? I mean, until, here, here's here's what I think. Until we start seeing, and, and I think we're starting to see it. Like, I have one of my old commanders. I've heard a rumor. His name is Joe, Joe Clearfield. Him and I didn't get along. We banged heads. But later on, like, acknowledged each other and talked about, you know, our... <laughs> Our issues with each other when he was a company commander and I was a corporal team leader. He, I think he's getting to be a, like a one-star general now. He may already be a one-star general, but I think realistically, like until we start seeing the officers that were lieutenants and captains, you know, platoon commanders and, you know, company commanders during the war on terror or ops, you know, well, shit, I would, I would venture to say if you were a lieutenant, yeah, I would, I basically, I'm just going to go back and say, if you were a lieutenant or a company commander, which is where the rubber meets the road in terms of executing tactical policy on the ground until those guys get to a point where they're starting to take over as, you know, generals and then as first Marine division general, and then as IMF general, and then as the commandant. uh, And they have those levels of experience where they were dealing with tactical issues on the ground and in terms of the war on terror and fighting counterinsurgency where the rubber meets the road until we start to see that those guys filter in. And the problem with them is a lot of like a lot of those guys have gotten out in the last 20 years and retired. So we don't have a continuation of, you know, we don't have continuity of combat leadership experience that is going up the ladder, which is sad. We've got a bunch of yes men, political careerists uh, that love to kiss their kiss ass and are from support MOSs and really have no business making policy for strategy in a combat environment. So, and that's, that's just kind of really also an inherent problem with the Marine Corps in general. One of the main reasons I got out was we constantly had pogues getting put in charge of us. You know, it's one of the things that I absolutely love about the Ranger Regiment. One of my best friends started the Ranger Regiment as a private and, you know, went all the way through first sergeant as a private and then retired. Okay. So, you know, he started there and stayed in Ranger Regiment until he was a first sergeant. And then he retired. And so seeing that continuity of experience and that continuity of leadership climb up the ladder, it made, you know, it kept what I called the GWAT DNA in Ranger Regiment and in Ranger Battalion. And I was very, very fortunate uh, that I got to work with those guys on a very regular basis. I trained them. I worked with them. I had close friendships and relationships with them. I was attached with them. I deployed with them. Like I did, I got to see very intimately how the 75th Ranger Regiment does business and they are an amazing warfighting institution, but it's because they have a culture that supports the continuity of experience staying in there and permeating the DNA of the regiment. Whereas the Marine Corps doesn't have that. We have this thing called the well-rounded Marine concept, which is is complete horseshit. It's where they send, once you become a first sergeant or a... um, uh, you know, Sergeant Major, you get sent over to uh, an infantry battalion from the air wing, from Motor T, from, you know, armor support, from a helicopter squadron. Like you, 
you'll get sent to the infantry. And then we have those idiots making, like my sergeant major was a cook and he was an absolute idiot. His claim to fame was he was a really amazing series award-winning drill instructor. Like he, I think he did two tours on the drill field. So he was super double extra belt fed brainwashed moron who had no business out there, like trying to delegate what, you know, troops are doing on the ground. And then all of our first sergeants were the same way. Like we had no infantry first sergeants. Like they were all from support MOSs and which like really fucks up the continuity and the chain of command in the Marine Corps. It's one of their biggest problems. Like I think really they need to, if I would to say to change one thing about the Marine Corps, it would be get a, get rid of the well-rounded Marine bullshit because that's what it is. It's complete bullshit. And put in, just keep infantry guys, infantry guys and support guys, support guys. Like if you joined the Marine Corps and worked your way up the ranks in a helicopter squadron as a, you know, you know, enlisted person doing maintenance on helicopters and you get promoted to first sergeant, stay over there. Do what you're good at. Do what you have a background in for the last 20 years. Okay. If you're an infantry guy, you should stay in the infantry. Like when you get promoted to first sergeant, you should stay in the infantry. Um, and that's, you know, my two, that's my two cents on that. Like it's a, it's a huge, huge problem. And now I'm starting to see it more prevalent in larger forms of government, which is why, you know, said in my last weapons free Wednesday, a call to action, all veterans should, that have experience should get up and go run for uh, some type of political office. And like, let's start pushing, uh, you know, some good leadership DNA, guys that can, that can, you know, make plans, deal with hard, stressful situations and actually lead by example and get some shit done instead of letting these people that have no business and all they want to do is get rich and they want it to, you know, follow party lines and push their political agenda. Like we've really, really got to get away from this or we're in, we're in deep trouble. I mean, I think we're in deep trouble already. I mean, the moves that China is making right now, like how deep China's got its hooks in us is huge. Our number one pure adversary has its hooks in us super, super deep. And until we make some changes on the political stage and get some good leadership pushed in there that is about America and is about the constitution and is about, you know, making America strong again, we're going to go down the rabbit hole. Like we're going to crash and burn if we don't, if we don't do something and we continue to let our pure adversaries run amok and outpace us. Okay. Cause now we have China in league with the Taliban in a geographical area right next to Iran. Okay. So now we might have Chinese MIGs patrolling over Afghanistan, which is going to be really bad for us and really bad for our allies, Israel, if we have to take action against Iran because they continue to illegally proliferate nuclear power, which they want to weaponize. I mean, you're talking about the country there that invented suicide bombing and they're trying to develop nuclear weapons. If anybody thinks that's a good idea, you need to have your head examined because that's not a great idea. And now their new next door neighbor, our number one pure adversary, China, and in league with our enemy of the last 20 years, the Taliban, who also, by the way, gives safe harbor to all the terrorist organizations that we like to fight, namely ISIS-K currently and Al-Qaeda. So we've got some major, major problems. We need to really get our shit together and figure this out as, as Americans. So that's why i pushed out my my call to action. So with that, I'll stop fucking running my mouth. I'll stop ranting. And I hope everybody uh, enjoyed this. I hope you guys have a great week. Happy hump day. Get out there. Summer, or I should say summer is, is I guess, over, but because uh, we're going into fall time frame. Leaves are definitely turning colors on the trees. So I would say get out there. If you're a hunter like I am, get out there. Enjoy the hunt. 
go get some meat in the freezer for your family uh, and enjoy what's left of the good weather before we roll into winter of 21 and then blink and it's Christmas time and then blink again and it's congratulations, it's January 2022, which will happen relatively quick. So with that, everybody have a great week and we will look forward to seeing you guys all back here next Monday for another episode of the Lone Element Podcast. Until then. Anyone who stands still is a well-disciplined BC. <laughs>